Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Although we hoped that all of you Jukai students would be able to attend Harvest Session in person, pandemic protocols and geographical distance made it impossible. But responding appropriately to circumstances is the essence of our practice. And here we are, 11 Jukai students spread out throughout the Dharma Datu. Three here, plus Shoteki, one of our most senior students, who is renewing his vow with a new Rakasu today. Three of you in Austin, Texas. Two of you at Shoboji in New York City. One of you in North Carolina. One of you in Syracuse and one of you in Los Angeles. So with the help of our video and webinar professionals and Zoom hosts, we have brought everyone together. Maybe 25 of us in person, around 30 some on Zoom, and innumerable creatures, rocks, trees, all sentient and insentient beings right here in this very place, in this very body. And now we are all partaking of the bountiful harvest of our session. This ceremony in which you are committing to a life informed by the Buddhist precepts. Whether or not we have taken Jukai in the past or will in the future, we are doing this today with you, with enthusiasm and determination. Living by the precepts, Sheila, is the second of the six paramitas or perfections. The first is dana, giving. The other four are kshanti, patience, virya, energetic resolve, jhana, zazen, and prajna, wisdom. 
They are interrelated, not at all linear. They form an endless ensemble. And where the brush first touches down is Donna. It moves through the circle, circumscribing emptiness and ends where it began. What? Donna. Yes, we need a prompter. <laughs> You three, you're supposed to be speaking for everyone. You just recited Tisarana in the special translation that we use for precepts, ceremonies, and ordinations. I give my life to the Buddha. I give my life to the Dharma. I give my life to the Sangha. In giving yourself to the threefold refuge, you are letting go of your misconceptions about who you think you are. and what you think you need. From the perspective of Donna giving, what does it mean to take or receive the precepts? Yes, you're not taking something, right? You're not taking something. You're taking it upon yourselves to renounce everything that stands in the way of truly receiving them. You are giving yourself to them, you are living them. Master Rinzai said, nothing has its own substance. There is only the person who, not relying on anyone, listens to the Dharma. She is the mother of the Buddhas. Therefore, Buddhas are born from non-reliance. If you truly awaken to this non-reliance, you will discover that Buddhahood is nothing special to attain. Insight such as this is genuine insight.
So you precepts, students, you are cultivating the mind that depends upon nothing whatsoever. That is the true refuge. Not relying on anyone. You give yourself away and you meet your true self, your fundamental Buddha nature. You give yourself away and listen to the Dharma revealing in this very moment, as it is now, Enkai trying to fix whatever technological issues we are having, who knows? The Dharma teachings are alive, right? Not only in the sutras and commentaries, both ancient and modern, but in the bare trees on Daivasatsu Mountain, the mist hovering over Beecher Lake, beautiful snowflakes that began to fall yesterday. The sound of rain dripping from the eaves. Not relying on anyone. You meet your own inner master. You give yourself away and you are one with the Sangha, the vast interconnected family of bodhisattvas in training, one in all, all in one, as So San Zenji put it in faith in mind with not a tenth of an inch's difference between you and so-called others, you offer and renew your bodhisattva's vow with each encounter, not relying on anyone. You meet heart to heart with everyone. The true meaning of the threefold refuge is surrendering to this never failing spiritual interrelationship in which nothing is lacking, nothing is superfluous. When you surrender, you find that you hold the key to your own freedom and the door to the prison cell of separate selfhood opens. What do you find 
when you walk through that door. Nothing at all. In esoteric Judaism, Kabbalah, the term for that which cannot be named is provisionally called Ein Sof. Provisionally because to name it creates a new hindrance, a concept, a thing. As the Diamond Sutra reminds us, it is not that. It is only called that. Ein Sof. It is not. There is nothing at all. No attributes, no aspects, no conditional view or description or definition possible for what conventionally is called God. Unlimited, inconceivable, Boundless, infinite, pure essence. Prior to any doctrine, any religion, any manifestation, this is nothingness, not as nihilism, but as pure awareness. Or we might say, <sighs> in Hokuto Sensei's beautiful talk yesterday, he referred to this as pure prayer, not a prayer of supplication, not to anyone or on behalf of anyone, just pure attention, attending to what is always being offered to you. He quoted Simone Weil and another quote from her is this. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. But wanting something identifiable, something you can hold, something that can be defined, seems to be hardwired into us. It's our default mode. 
protecting and solidifying the illusion of separate selfhood. So your practice is to notice when the mind falls into preference and craving, when you find yourselves enchained and enthralled, as Rumi put it, like dogs feasting on a dead dog. It takes alertness, even with the best of intentions, the purest of motivations, from time to time, you may find yourself in a reactive mode. One that comes from believing in what? An ego entity, a personality, you can sing it, a being, a separated individuality. Yes, Sabuti? When you're beset by turbulent events, losses, disappointments, all sorts of emotions arise. And your practice is not to suppress them or transcend them with some superficial idea of equanimity what John Will would term spiritual bypassing, but to feel them, to allow them with radical acceptance, and then not get stuck there. You experience your emotions, but you do not need to identify with them. No need to get entangled in the storylines that emanate from and reinforce that self-absorption and ignorance. Solon Roshi told us, these precepts are not given to bind you, but to make you free to live in perfect freedom has nothing to do with circumstances. You may be in school. I don't want to be in school anymore. You may have a family. Oh, when can I get some time to myself? You may have a job that's very demanding. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> Whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, those circumstances, do not constrict you if you truly realize that right in the midst of them, the most confining and circumscribed situations, that's where you find true freedom. That's what we mean by Zen practice, by living the precepts. And what keeps you from this perfect freedom? 
is the very thought that it lies elsewhere, outside and beyond your present situation. During these months of examining the significance of what you are undertaking, a lot of things have come up, right? Some things you might have preferred to ignore. Perhaps you've sometimes felt unworthy or fearful or blindsided by old habits of craving and self-absorption. You've seen the obvious and subtle ways in which you distract yourself, run from the challenges of living upright, living with integrity. And there are myriad escape routes. And having tried them again and again, you know they all lead directly to hell. Taking life, grabbing, exploiting others, deceiving, craving, gossiping, falling into arrogance, jealousy, anger, addiction, all are based on the belief in a separate selfhood. And that's the inner dictator that compels you to rush toward what you think will make you happy and rush away from what might threaten your belief in the identity you've concocted through years of causes and conditions. So to live by the precepts means to abandon all self-justification and self-deception and respond with clarity and compassion to the moment you're in without trying to make it more appealing, more comfortable, less threatening. When you start practicing for real, and that's what you are doing. When it stops being a self-improvement project and starts turning you inside out, it's not comfortable, it's not safe, it requires you to step forth, be daring, be willing to respond directly to whatever arises within and around you. So, acknowledge your mistakes, appreciate them, 
They are the best educators you can get. Don't make excuses for yourself. Remember that self-justification is self-perpetuation. With sincere regret, go right to the verse of purification. The more you do this, the more you will find the resolve necessary for true change, true transformation. You have freely chosen this ceremony of the precepts, this living and giving yourself to the precepts. And yet this decision is choiceless. It has arisen from deep within you. It comes from the recognition of something absolutely essential to your life. Essential and familiar. You are here because of your karma, which includes great challenges and great fortune. So even if some difficulty should come to pass in the future, remember how rare it is to be born in human form. How rare to encounter the Dharma. How rare to meet with a teacher. How rare to practice with the spiritual friends we call a Sangha. When you remember this, a fundamental shift occurs. Your mental condition turns from complaining to thanksgiving. It's up to you. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.